Welcome to ADHD Crash Course, the podcast for those of us who feel we have a lot to learn about ADHD, and that includes me. My name's Danae Cannon, and I'm your host. I'm an occupational therapist, a certified coach, a mom of more than one child with ADHD, and I have ADHD. So welcome to the Crash Course. We're in this together, and let's jump in. Welcome to ADHD Crash Course. Today we have Tina Madsen. Now, Tina's an ADHD coach like me, only she's cooler because she is a hypnotist. And she's here today to tell us exactly what that means when it comes to coaching and uh, her work. And so I'm super excited. Welcome, Tina. Hello, welcome. And so thank you so much for having me. And I just want to preface it with, I am not way cooler than you. Nobody is cooler than anybody else. We all bring these amazing, unique skills and talents to the table, but thank you. It's okay. I don't, (laughs) I do not mind friending up. I'm cool with that. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So So what do you want me to dive into? Okay. So I'm going to say the obvious thing for a lot of us is that my experience with hypnosis was in a comedy club. I had a group of us went, uh, my friend went up on the stage, the hypnotist convinced her that everybody else smelled and it was funny. And, and when she came off, I was like, was that real or, or not real? And she's like, I don't even know. Like she was confused and you know, you're not going to be the person that jams up the, the funny routine. So we still didn't know after that experience, what was that? If it was real, if it has anything to do with hypnotism in general, I don't know, but you tell us what was that? Is that anything related to what hypnotism actually is? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because uh, a lot of the individuals that when they hear like, you know, what do you do? And I say, I'm an ADHD coach and I specialize in hypnosis. Um, And their first question is, are you going to make me get up on stage and cluck like a chicken? Right. (laughs) So, (laughs) So there's different kinds of hypnosis. So there's stage hypnosis, which is exactly what you partake in, partook Mm -hmm. in. And then there is direct suggestion hypnosis. So that's the old school hypnosis where you want to think about the person who was, you know, waving the watch in front of your face and you're getting sleepy and you are now a non-smoker and you are. So that's based direct (laughs) suggestion is based upon repetition. And what I do is insight based hypnosis Mm -hmm. and insight based hypnosis is essentially well, we've got a couple different layers in our brain. We've got our conscious mind or subconscious mind, and then we've got our unconscious mind. And in our subconscious mind, that's where all of our memories, our habits, our patterns, that's where it's all stored. And it actually controls 95% of our actions and behaviors. Mm. And so with insight-based hypnosis, we follow whatever it is that you're wanting to shift, whether it's a pattern, whether it's an experience, whether it's a fear, follow it back based upon emotion. And together we work through neutralizing the emotion. So neutralizing the emotion. So an individual can show up different. There is no longer an emotional charge. And, you know, I, I know you and I talked a little bit about um, my background before we got on this and Mm -hmm. I was a, I was a coach and I've always been in love with the brain, the human brain and science and biology yeah. of the human mind. And that neuro perspective or neuroscience perspective was a, a natural fit for me with bringing hypnosis into my practice, because I found there were so many individuals that had underlying beliefs or mm-hmm. misperceptions, misconceptions, negative beliefs, unhelpful patterns. And sometimes we do so much work 
in terms of taking all the programs and maybe your audience can relate to this taking all the programs, shiny object syndrome, as soon as somebody else has great copy that says, oh, you do this and you're right. going to get blank, 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 blank. Well, if there's an underlying belief in us or we have enough of a repeated experience of say, for an example, failure, mm-hmm. your subconscious brain goes above and beyond to protect you. Right. So the number one role of the human brain our subconscious brain is to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. And so it does that a lot of the times by saying, mm, like, don't, you know, what'll happen, you, you're going to take this and it's going to require you step out. And if you step out, if there's an underlying fear of judgment or fear of criticism or fear of acceptance, that's always what's going to show up. And it's going to show up with different coping mechanisms for an individual right. with ADHD. It shows up by, we choose distracting behaviors. Yeah. So and without HD, ADHD, I see that just everyone. Totally. It's yeah. So the shopping, anything that's just pulling you off mm-hmm. of difficult emotions. Yep. So yeah, it's, 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 that's exactly it. So for some it's drinking, for some it's overeating, for some it's scrolling, for some it's shopping, for some it's gambling mm-hmm. and yeah, neurodiverse or neurotypical, those it's, it's a coping mechanism. That's your brain saying, this is uncomfortable. I'm going to elicit a distracting behavior to keep you safe. Right. So, so so what relationship then does like hypnosis have to maybe what I would consider like a more top down, like a, I'm going to pay attention to this, respond to this versus a hypnosis approach in, in changing a belief. Yeah. So um, if I think if I understand it correctly, you're asking um, how does hypnosis alter from just shifting the uh, awareness around being able to recognize your thoughts and then create new habits and patterns. Is that correct? Exactly. Like a CBT, like a cognitive behavioral therapy approach would be taking that thought, whatever the thought I'm, you know, I'm not reliable, right. And, and stretching it, challenging it, but, and, and the work that work can be effective yet. Yeah. And kind of slow. Right. And it sounds like hypnosis might have a different trajectory. Maybe it can absolutely. Um, so CBT cognitive behavioral therapy can be really powerful when somebody has the ability to look at it from the perspective. Well, is that really true? Right. you know, like, is that really true? Like, can you think of other incidences where you encountered this situation and you move through it? So those are examples where CBT can be really, really powerful. And regardless, it's a powerful practice. Right. I'm, I'm not dismissing that at all. However, what, what happens or where the difference is with hypnosis is, so when we look at what I call the vertical model of the mind, and I talked about it, we have our conscious mind, where that's our, our logical, our linear, our critical thinking part of our brain. This is where, you know, we have thoughts and experiences, or this is where they initially happen. Then we've got our subconscious brain, which controls 95%. This is where our habits, our patterns develop, our way of being, and that's where our pr- protective mechanism shows up. And then we've got our unconscious mind and our unconscious mind well, this can become automatic behavior with repetition. So where hypnosis comes into play is when we're younger, it's from the age of seven and under, typically we we have an experience and this experience can make us feel a particular way, good or bad. In the case of 
for the purposes of our conversation today, I'm going to use the example of a misperception that happened with Sally. Sally, mm-hmm. mom got really upset. Mom snapped at her. Mm-hmm. Sally made it mean I'm not worthy. So Sally doesn't have the cognitive ability and the critical thinking to be able to determine, oh, mom just got in a car accident. Mom's super stressed out. Mom's strapped financially. She's worried that this guy's going to sue her. She doesn't have the cognitive ability to put together. Oh, Mm. it doesn't really mean that mom doesn't think I'm worthy of love, but that's the misinterpretation she's made. So, so we have a thought or we have an experience that thought or experience, we give it meaning. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what we give it meaning to evokes an emotion in us. Mm-hmm. So the emotion of inadequacy, stress, loneliness, sadness, anger, guilt with that, after we f- have the emotion that elicits a feeling, mm-hmm. the feeling elicits a chemical physiological response that happens in our brain that gets spread throughout our body. And that is what is responsible for our behaviors and actions. Mm. So Sally at the age of four has had this negative experience. Mm. So this is what she now makes of whenever she chooses to speak out and ask for attention. Like I'm super excited. I want to show mom what I made. And mom's having a rough day. Mom snaps at her. Sally makes it mean I'm not worthy later on in life. Sally goes through many, many years of not wanting to speak out because she doesn't want to have that same feeling because it gets stored on what's called an emotional resonance level in our body. Mm. Later on, Sally's in a relationship with her boyfriend. Boyfriend decides, no, 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 no. I don't want to hang out with you tonight. I'm going out with the boys. So Sally immediately makes the interpretation. It's not the same experience as when she was four, but it elicits the same feeling in her body. It elicits the same emotion, the feeling, which makes her withdraw or not show up or whatever the behavior pattern is. Right. And so what hypnosis does is it allows the ability because Sally may not understand why she keeps repeating the same behavior time and time again, right? All she knows is that she doesn't want to step out and it's your subconscious brain saying to you, hey, don't speak out because if you speak out, you're going to get that feeling and that feeling is not good. And so don't worry, I'm going to send out all the chemicals. So you just stay there in this nice little <laughs> ball. So you don't experience any of the discomfort because your brain's just trying to protect you. Your right. brain, fear, false evidence appearing real, right? That acronym. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's your brain trying trying to protect you. So with hypnosis, what I do with my clients is we follow the feeling back Mm -hmm. to where it originated from. And we change the internal dialogue. Mm -hmm. We work with the subconscious brain and we neutralize the emotion. So there is no longer a charge. So clients walk away going, And it's not that they, sometimes they'll walk away going, oh my God, like, I can't believe how different I feel. And then other times it's this subtle, I can't believe it. Like this incident happened. So say for an entrepreneur, say it's a tech incident. They're about to go on and do present to their group coaching program. And they have a tech issue. And in the past, this would have sent them over a tipping point. I actually had a client (laughs) like this. Yeah. High reaction. Yeah, the, the, the tech issue for this um, particular client of mine was always a tipping point. 
And one day she, she called me and she was like, holy cow, you'd not believe it. Like mm-hmm. everything that went sideways went sideways. And she was like, I was cool as a cucumber. Like didn't even phase me. Didn't oh, even matter. She was like, yeah. And so that's, that's the first time she was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm showing up as a completely different person. Right. So, so wow, what I'm hearing you say then that, that, that we're interpreting a lot of our day, not really at that conscious level. Like we're interpreting things all the time. It sounds like on a subconscious level. Yeah. It's based on, on, on beliefs, mm-hmm. right? It's based on misperceptions. It's based on beliefs. It's based upon experiences that we have given meaning to about right. us, right? So I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. If I speak out, if I step out, like the fear of judgment, fear of criticism. And when we start to treat our brain as a, so without hypnosis, you know, Mm -hmm. start to treat our brain as like, you know, I thank you for trying to protect me. Yes. Right. Like I acknowledge you and I want to do this anyways. And in particular, not just as someone who has an ADHD diagnosis, but a lot of the times I'd love for us to do another episode on this. And I, and I think we're going to, mm-hmm. but on something yeah, that I call the, the, the feel bad distract cycle, which mm-hmm. the feel bad distract cycle is really all about understanding, like what's the emotion that I'm feeling, right? So we name the emotion, we identify the cause of it. And then we elicit a satisfying response. And so what is satisfying? Because I think you had mentioned that before, a satisfying response in relation to the emotion. It's what yeah. is that? So a satisfying response in relation to something that can help them move through it, right? So, <sighs> so let's talk about the emotion of, of, of loneliness as an example. When you feel lonely, it's a voice inside you saying, you know, I need to be with someone I care about and someone who cares about me. Right. So it's like, what am I feeling? Well, I'm feeling lonely and it's identify the cause of the feeling. Like you're experiencing a desire for human companionship because, you know, relationships are lacking. And then it's a satisfying response would be using our imagination or, you know, getting creative of, you know, okay, what can I do? Well, I can call someone and I can share something meaningful. I can, um, take a class to be around others. I can volunteer. I can join a special interest club. I can get a part-time job doing something I enjoy. Right. So it's really about, you know, learning to the quality of our life depends on the quality of the questions that we ask ourselves. Right. When we're in this state of being in a, in a stress response, and when we're in this state of catastrophizing and, and rumination and running stories, we don't have the opportunity to get off the hamster wheel. No, all because, that curiosity goes when you're mm-hmm, elevated right? like that. It's, it's not there. Yeah, totally. And it's because our body is flooded. And we, we talked this about this a little bit, right? But um, the vagus nerve, the sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system, and we can't heal. We can't move through. We can't process difficult emotions or uncomfortable situations cognitively when we're in a constant state of stress. So when we learn to neutralize, then we're able to contribute towards stimulating our parasympathetic nervous system. Mm. And so girl, you know, I'm going to ask you how to do it. How do we do it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. Right. So 
Um, do you want to, shall I share with your audience the, the crash course on, on the vagus nerve and the definitely sympathetic nervous system? Cause this is yeah. what I would consider a regulating strategy, right? Like this is a, a regulator or is that Abs- not the way? Okay. No, absolutely. It's a really, really powerful tool. It's actually something. So this is a practice that I have my coaching clients embark upon. And this is also a practice when someone's with me in hypnosis, I actually give them a tool. So an anchor. Mm. So in a state of hypnosis, so they can pull up this feeling anytime with practice. So give it to them in a hypnotic induction. I attach it to a hypnotic anchor. So like their thumb and forefinger rubbing it together. And Mm. when they get in a uncomfortable situation or a situation that doesn't make them feel good, they can access this and it will elicit the same feelings in their body. That sounds awesome. Grounded. Yeah. So, so it starts from um, the vagus nerve is your single most important nerve in our body and originates in the brainstem. Mm -hmm. It runs all the way down the base of the spine and it has nerve endings all over our body. So the most significant nerve receptors are located in the lungs, the bottom of the stomach and the heart. So, mm -hmm. and when you stimulate these nerve receptors properly, you bring forward the opportunity to obtain a desired physiological change that, which is being in a state of calm and relax. So essentially when we stimulate the vagus nerve, we interrupt the stress response and we induce relaxation. Okay. This is cool. So you're basically giving me the science on deep breathing, right? Like I, when we talk about regulation tools, I, I really have been curious, like why the breathing? Like there's, there's a lot of the sensory ones I get, even the mindfulness ones, but the breathing was one that I was curious about. So this is cool. Yeah. Well, and, and this is something, you know, so deep breathing goes back to, to Buddhism, right? So mm-hmm. ancient Indian practices. And so uh, I'm not sure if you've ever done uh, any breath work. Have you done any breath work in the past? I have. Yeah. Yeah. And so for myself, I actually did a, a, 20 hour yoga teacher training certification purely because the woman who was teaching it also has a background in neuroscience. I love the science portion of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really wanted, I wanted to understand, I'm a huge proponent of really doing a deep dive to understand it. So, um, so essentially when we stimulate our parasympathetic nervous system, it brings us into, it stimulates a a state of rest and repose. It actually halts inflammation as well in our body, which is great. Why it's so great for um, people who are injured and enables the body to heal more effectively. Mm, So how that works is when we learn to properly activate these nerve receptors. So via proper deep breath technique, that means stimulating the diaphragm, Mm -hmm. it enhances our mood. And it has a decrease of the stress response. So it releases melatonin, which is great for uh, helping us to feel calm, induces sleep, um, releases, releases serotonin, which is a mood elevator. It releases endorphins, which are uh, natural morphine and pain relief hormones. It decreases heart rate, decreases blood pressure. It halts anti-inflammatory response in your body and it engages the body in a rest and relaxation state. So it's a big winner. We need, oh, yes, it's, it's a huge winner. And 
there's so much research that's done. And so this is something that I learned um, in my hypnosis training. I learned all about it. And my trainer was actually an anesthesiologist in the hospital, Mm -hmm. in hospitals. And so she was teaching her her patients that were coming in. She was teaching them one hypnosis, but also proper breathing techniques to help calm the central nervous system. So the physiological breath and how it plays into our autonomic nervous system is our autonomic nervous system is made up of two opposing systems that work in tandem to maintain balance in our bodies. So the two systems are the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic nervous system, it's responsible for our stress response. This is our caveman, our caveman time. So fight or flight, And it prepares our body to get into action. It's preparing our body for stress. And so it's a a beautiful response when it's needed appropriately. So it was was originally created as a feature for cavemen, like during caveman times to be like, oh, crap, there's a saber tooth tiger. I got a bolt. And now we have it activated just because of life. I mean, there's so constant. Exactly. With no actual physical threat usually, but no, you probably see this with your clients as well. I know oh, yeah. I personally, you know, when I went through a, a divorce, when I went through the loss of a loved one, you know, we experience those things. So examples. So the difference is that, you know, humans have evolved. We no longer need to be on alert 24 seven, but our body hasn't evolved to reflect modern times. So that means it can't tell the difference between the different types of stressors, or you'll see me doing air quotes right now, if you're watching me, <laughs> perceived stressors. Right. So here's a few examples of when our stress response is triggered. Um, uncomfortable feelings, mm-hmm. social media, like for an entrepreneur, like, you know, who's liking and who's scrolling your posts Oh yeah. or, yeah. or comparison, right? Especially like when we look at the younger generations right now, and how impacted, especially young women, how impacted they are because everyone's sharing their 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 shiny highlight reel of life. Yes, right? let's yeah. all get real out there, people, and everybody's poop stinks. So let's just <laughs> own that, okay? Um, <laughs> true, it's so true. It's so funny too. I think like that's such a tougher. It's so much tougher on them in that sense. Just growing up with that. I mean, I Absolutely. I'm grateful I didn't have to have everything documented and. The, yeah. the commercial for everyone's life all the time. It's, it's tough, you know? Yeah. Um, some other ways that our stress response is triggered is, you know, when we have to have a difficult conversation or right. not speaking our truth, like holding back. Right. Oh, that's so such a big one for denying, the people I work with. Yeah. Yeah. Denying our ability to speak because we are fearful of how it may be perceived. Right. right. Um, feelings of lack or inadequacy. These are all parts of our stress response. So, you know, I want to ask your audience, you know, show of hands. Mine is up right now to say that I lived in this cycle for a really long time. And oh yeah, cycle of our sympathetic nervous system being stimulated can become habitual. Absolutely. And- I think sometimes it, it, it honestly, I've seen this in myself and others, like it can also uh, trigger kind of a productivity and uh, some people actually find it beneficial in terms of productivity. Is it worth the body trade-off, the wellness trade-off? Usually people decide no, but I I've noticed that in the people I work with myself too, it's like sometimes that elevated state, um, you, you find yourself 
super action, super, super moving. If maybe motivation, well, like you was get tricky. the dopamine hit, yeah. right? But it's, yeah. it's, but it's the dopamine hit is actually fueled by adrenaline. Like once we understand right. our endocrine anatomy mm-hmm. and how it all works, then we're able to take proactive behavior. And it's just, there's not a lot of information out there, especially with how it ties to ADHD. So right. I mean, there's a whole bunch of factors that contribute towards activating our stress response. I just gave you that list, but essentially when stress is activated in our body, it signals a release of hormones. And one of the most damaging is cortisol. So you talked about the helpful, right? So cortisol as a short-term stress response, it helps the body to reduce pain. But when you have chronic stress activation, your cortisol levels are suboptimal, which means that, you know, when we're in a long-term fight flight response, it's damaging to our central nervous system. Mm-hmm. And it can also be a state that our body becomes accustomed to. So our brain can be like, oh, this is the norm. This is the norm. Like our brain is savvy enough that if it doesn't stay in this perpetual state, it will look for ways to create that it's habitual and it's our brain that will repetitiously send those patterns. And so this is where it's really powerful to be able to have that sense of awareness, right? recognize what's going on and to do what I call a pattern interrupt. So So breathing is a, is one thing that's one of those regulators and a pattern interrupt is a different thing, a different strategy. Yeah. So a pattern interrupt is really about, you know, having that sense of awareness about that. Oh, this is a thought, like separating your thoughts from your physical actions, right? Mm-hmm. Separating and then shifting. So we are where our attention is, right? So your brain is going to continue to send out those signals of like, don't do the thing, don't do the thing, don't do the thing, or eat the sugar, eat the sugar, get the carb, get the carb, get the carb, get the carb. And, and eventually when your brain gets the carb, it's a, oh, okay, I... until it wants its next fix. So, but with every single time, it's like I talked about our emotions. It's not actually satisfying the initial feeling, right? It's a coping mechanism. It's a distraction technique. So, so our sympathetic nervous system is, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? So it's activation of our sympathetic nervous system occurs when there's uncertainty in our day-to-day or the anticipation of uncertainty. So now let's talk about how to resolve it. So Mm -hmm. this is where we bring in the parasympathetic nervous system. So the parasympathetic nervous system, it's responsible for inducing that state of rest and repose. It helps to calm the body. It helps our body to conserve energy. It aids in healing, right? Right. So even our brain, when there's inflammation in our body and brain, it's going to draw our attention to it. I, I, I deal with, I have, I have clients who they have injuries and Mm -hmm. their bodies aren't healing because they're in a constant state of inflammation because they're in a stress response. Our body cannot heal. So the more desired state is obviously to to activate. And this aids to activate your 
parasympathetic nervous system. And this is what specifically engages when we do the proper deep breathing. So oh, good. do you want to know how we do it? I, you know, I do. I'm being so good at not interrupting. <laughs> like, tell no, me. interrupt. Please do. Please do. I love interruptions. No, I'm like, serious. Tell me, so, tell me how to do it. Because you okay. do, you hear like, even with the breath work, everybody has a different opinion, uh, maybe depending on what their objective is, but just what you're talking about, the kind of breath that we're going to help us bring totally right right yeah because there actually are so when i did the pranayama training just Mm -hmm. so i could find out all the different cells there actually are some breath work practices for people who are really anxious or women who are pregnant like there are certain practices that aren't recommended oh i sense my next hyper focused journey <laughs> oh, I can I can give you some amazing resources. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'll link them if anybody else wants to go with me. I'll link them on the show notes. Yeah. So when you take a proper deep breath, mm-hmm. the lungs fill up. So this is how this is how it all happens. So when you take a proper deep breath, the lungs fill up. When the lungs fill up, it stretches the lung tissue. The lung tissue. Do you remember I talked about the nerve receptors being located? in the lungs, the stomach, the heart yes. to stimulate the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. So when you stretch the lungs, it stimulates the nerve receptors in our lungs. This is why it's important to take a full breath, right? So the deep breath also applies pressure to the stomach as the diaphragm moves down. The and diaph- some, I know like the, with the breath, like a full breath, you're looking for your stomach. Cause I know sometimes people aren't really familiar with like they're, they're breathing on the top of their chest, you're looking totally. for your belly to expand. Yeah. Right? So, so inhale, belly rises, mm-hmm. exhale, belly falls. Right. I used to do this with kids. I would put a stuffed animal on their stomach and be like, okay, take a big breath. And the the animal needs to rise up. And then when you let it out, he needs to sink down. Totally. We're not used to breathing that way. I think. No, we're not right. Like proper diaphragmatic breathing, moving down, it activates the nerve receptors that are located in the base of the stomach. Mm. So then the engaged nerve receptors from the stomach and the lungs send information back up to the base of your brain to slow down your heart rate, to lower your blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And it helps. So this is the process that aids in shutting off your stress response by releasing melatonin, serotonin, and endorphins brain and the gut via the vagus nerve. That's awesome. So, um, how much, how much breathing is it just depends on your body response? Here's, here's how we successfully engage it. (laughs) (laughs) See, we're totally on the same wavelength. You know, Dina. So you have to take a, a full deep breath. And what I mean when I say that is no puffing your chest out, right. no arching your back, no tensing your shoulders, make your shoulders heavy. So it's breathing in for a count of three, holding for a count of three, exhaling for a count of six. So inhale, belly rises, hold, and then exhale for a count of six. Belly I falls. cannot listen to you without doing this. I'm like, I'm, I hope I'm not making big <laughs> breath noises. No. In the mic. And so all of the research indicates that to induce the parasympathetic nervous system, the magic number of breaths in a minute is four to six, four okay. to six breaths. This particular practice, three, three, six is five breaths per minute. So your listeners, you guys, you, you want to practice this breath nice and slow at an easy, relaxed pace. And imagine almost filling your lungs up like you'd want to fill a balloon. So it's almost ready to pop 
right? So that's how you know you're stretching your lungs to the degree that it needs to happen to stimulate those nerve receptors in the tissue of your lungs. Mm, so, yeah. So um, the best practice to receive you know, maximum benefit is practice three times a day for 10 minutes each time. Okay. So, yeah, I love things that you can access for regulation that are our body level, because I just think the mind, like the thought level and all is so hard to access when you're really elevated, when you're really. You oh, know, absolutely. There. So the woman who I did my, my breath work training with, mm-hmm. um, like n- not for, you know, not for the purpose of, uh, yoga. It was really just, I wanted the knowledge. She, she was doing a deep dive on endocrine anatomy and obsessed with the human brain. So, <laughs> but when COVID came around, you know, kids were home from school and she was having a practice every day at eight o'clock online. And so there was a whole bunch of us that would sit in our living rooms at eight o'clock in the morning. And my kids knew like, Oh, mom's doing a breathwork practice. And I was cool as a cucumber. I was like, wow, this stuff really, really works. Right. So this was three times a day. So three times a day, 10 minutes. So this is going to aid in a more relaxed and calm state, Um, a decrease in uh, depression, decreased anxiety, a decrease in pain. If you're experiencing pain and here's the kicker is that once you've trained your brain to tap into this relaxation response via, we didn't get into this, but um, classical conditioning. Have you ever heard of Pavlov's classical conditioning? Oh yeah. 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 So the dog, you know, for anyone who has a pet, (laughs) they know that, you know, as soon as you go to the dog bowl or you, Oh, my cat knows, like I open the fridge and she's immediately like, Oh, I'm going to get fed. Like she's already (laughs) anticipating. Right. So you can actually train your brain to step into this relaxation response in the future. So Mm -hmm. practice it consistently. And in the future, you could do it with one, two or three breaths. And that's going to be enough to activate this response. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, the, the breathing component is something that's a really, really powerful tool. And it's like a muscle. It's a muscle that can be trained. And you and I touched on this with, um, you know, having a mindfulness practice. And I can't tell you how many threads I've been in where there is an ADHD who's saying like, I can't meditate. I won't meditate. I can't ADHD is like, they have like a knee jerk to mindfulness. And I, and I get it like, because I think there's a, maybe a, an image of mindfulness that is, you got to um, sit for an hour and meditate. No, yeah, like right? I'm here to tell it, tell your audience that you can have a mindfulness practice 12 minutes a day. And, yes. um, and I'd mentioned to you, Amishi Jha. She is a neuroscientist and she's done so much research around this with Navy SEALs, Marines, uh, people who are out in battlefield stuff, who, who were on the battlefields, who came home suffering from PTSD, depression, high, high rates of anxiety on a constant basis. Well, these individuals removed those feelings and she actually cites ADHD for part of her research as well. Oh, wow. And, you know, when we start to... And they remove that with a mindfulness practice. Yeah. Right. uh, So like, yeah, our, our brain fires differently, mm -hmm. but you know, what if we could learn to truly understand that we have the ability to rewire and retrain our neural pathways. We have the ability to work with our brain. Right. Mm -hmm. And so from a, a, a coaching perspective, from a hypnosis perspective, you know, 
when we start to change the internal narrative, mm-hmm. right? When we start to neutralize the beliefs, the stories, the misperceptions, this is where I do my greatest work with my clients. Then we show up differently. Absolutely. It's not, you know, all smoke and mirrors and, and wishful thinking and being optimistic. It's about equipping one another with tangible tools, right? Like you, I know have some amazing tools and resources to support all of your clients. And I I really feel incredibly passionate about, you know, when we collaborate and when we come together and we take all of it, we can really have a profound difference in the world of ADHD. And absolutely like hit it from every angle, right? When I was diagnosed with ADHD, I felt so much shame. I had a lifetime of being a, like a, a square peg trying to fit into a round hole. Oh yeah. And once I, I wasn't looking for an ADHD diagnosis. My doctor was like, Hey, we should talk. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had someone say that to us. I was I like, what, what, what are you talking about? And then it was like, Oh my God, this is such a huge relief because now I know what I'm working with. Yes, but then absolutely. I went down the rabbit hole of research and I found that a lot of the narrative wasn't empowering and it made me feel really ashamed and embarrassed. I bought into the narrative that, you know, Oh, I'm always late. I'm disorganized. I'm not an identity where it's like, okay, this is exactly. I Mm -hmm. took it on at an identity level. And once I started to tap into information that was empowering and supportive Mm -hmm. and gently gently chipping away at the narrative, right? Just because I love that learn new information. It doesn't mean, you know, we snap our fingers and it's instantaneous. That's a really good point to make. Cause I think even that, like, you know, it's a process and it does, I mean, it, it took me so many years to chip away. Right. Like, I think that's just a journey you go through. It's worth it, but it's, it's easy to feel impatient. Like I want to be here. Yeah. So worth it. Right. And and it's not always linear either. I mean, at least not with my practices, like, you know, we, and that's life, like, it's just, you move forward overall, but it's not always. No, like for, yeah. (laughs) So people come to me when they're like, I've tried everything else and nothing else works. So I might as well try this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So get it. Like I'm your last resort. Right. And those individuals are the ones who have had, and maybe some of your listeners can relate to this. This was my story, but I did course after course after program. And the story was, if I just do this, like, oh, I yeah. did, we are, like, some shiny- course, we are course collectors. I know that. Yeah. We <laughs> I, I don't buy courses or programs anymore. This I, is- I've accepted that I I'm not doing anything else now. So it's just, you know, I'm always fascinated, but I accepted that it's just not getting done. Yeah. I've, I'm like, I'm sure I will do some courses and programs, but it's, I finally have the inner confidence to go. Yeah, I have enough knowledge, enough wisdom to be able to go out and make the impact that I desire because on an inner sense, I know I'm enough. I know I'm smart enough. I know I'm good enough. And if I fall down, oh, okay. I fell down. Great. It's funny you said that. And I was just had a memory of my sister seeing my books. They were like all self-help. And she's like, dude, you need to get some fiction. Like it was all. Oh, my collection of books. So I'm much more embracing fiction nowadays. Right. Yeah. I think you and I share same philosophy, similar philosophies. I know I do is, is coming from this place of, you know, 
learning to accept where we are knowing. So there's, there's a difference between trying to like whitewash over it and make it look pretty of this sense of acceptance or knowing, right? Everything, when we break down everything, how we show up, it's all based upon a feeling, right? And we talked about this, like the feeling expansive, right? Feeling expansive is like, yeah, I'm feeling good. Yeah. And, and, and feeling bad makes us feel contracted, right? And I love that you take on this approach of, you know, learning to accept ourselves for our unique brains and knowing it's okay to, to like, you know, wish to have a different outcome sometimes. It's like, okay, great. How can I learn to work with this? And then really adopting that no shame approach because, you know, we are all resourceful, creative and whole and we are absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I mean, I love, um, you got to check out Tina and her, her website and all that she has going on. Cause I love, I love that combo approach empowering, you know, what you can do to work with your brain, but accepting this is, this is you and you know, it's, um, and it's good. (laughs) So, um, I know people are going to want to see what you have going on and find you. How can they do that? How can they find me? So I'm at tinamadson.com. That's my Mm -hmm. website. Mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram at Tina Madsen 2.0 because, mm-hmm. and I, I intentionally chose 2.0 because I was I the new and enhanced it. version of self. <laughs> I and be even a 2.0. On, yeah. And uh, version 2.0. And then on TikTok, I'm Tina Madsen 2.0 as well. Very cool. Well, yeah. thank you so much for being a guest and getting us up to speed on the, the real deal with hypnosis. Cause I know there's probably lots of misconceptions and I feel like we understand it a little better now and definitely going to have Tina on again. Cause we have a lot more, a lot more to chat about. Yes, we do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Thank you, you so know. much for having me. Thanks Tina. So that's all for today. Thank you so much for joining me and see you next week.